Coming up this evening on NTD Business. As CNN's president, Jeff Zucker, is stepping down in a surprise move. What does he say about the resignation? Researchers at a top U.S. university releasing the results of a new study on lockdowns. What they found might shock you. And luxury brands becoming more and more interested in deals with soccer clubs. What changed their minds? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Good evening. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here, live from New York City. Researchers at Johns Hopkins University say pandemic lockdowns did a lot more harm than good. Their paper says lockdowns have had devastating effects on both the economy and society, including raising unemployment, reducing schooling, and contributing to domestic violence. But they found lockdowns had little to no impact in actually reducing deaths. The researchers performed an analysis of over 20 scientific studies. They found that early lockdowns reduced overall COVID-19 mortality by two-tenths of a percent. They did find evidence that closing non-essential businesses like bars may have helped reduce the number of deaths. But their overall conclusion was that lockdowns are not an effective way to reduce mortality rates and should not be a part of pandemic policy. Lockdowns also forced the United States and other countries to take on massive debt as it supported shuttered businesses and unemployed persons. That's pushed the country's national debt past $30 trillion, trillion with a T, for the first time ever. That's about $90,000 per citizen or $240,000 per taxpayer. The sobering news comes from Treasury Department data published Tuesday. Since the end of 2019, not that long ago, the national debt has surged by about $7 trillion. Americans at least have to pay interest on that debt, which can cost hundreds of billions of dollars per year. Money could have been spelled elsewhere. And the cost of that interest is also set to rise as the Fed raises interest rates to fight inflation. In fact, new government debt itself is inflationary as new money is printed to cover the government's costs. Over on Wall Street today, major indexes back on track to extend their weekly gains. The Dow was up 224 points, six-tenths of a percent. S&P 500 rose 43 points, but nine-tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq today gained 72 points, but half a percent today. Facebook parent Meta, though, fell sharply, over 20 percent after hours. Reported earnings that found that fourth-quarter profit declined due to a sharp increase in expenses. Inflation. Also today, shares of payment app PayPal plunged 24%. It reported earnings after the bell yesterday, showing it suffered a big hit to revenue after eBay dropped PayPal as a payment processor. eBay used to own PayPal, but the two later split. That forced PayPal CEO today to say that that split and rejection of PayPal as a payment processor is putting pressure on PayPal's income. eBay's migration to managed payments happened faster than we anticipated. Overall, eBay put $1.4 billion of pressure on our top line, reducing our revenue growth by 700 basis points. Big customer. 
PayPal also says e-commerce growth was slower than expected during the holiday season. It says 11, at least 11 analysts cut their price targets on the stock. For the current quarter, PayPal expects revenue to grow 6%. That's also much lower than analysts expected. But it seems the luxury fashion industry has changed its mind about soccer. Big-name brands are signing big deals with clubs. Here's entities Evelyn Lee on why the so-called beautiful game may represent an opportunity for luxury brands. Luxury brands want in on soccer. More and more big names are signing deals with soccer clubs. Dior and Montclair, for instance, recently signed deals with major European clubs. They will now design formal wear or playing gear for them. But this is only possible now after a decades-long shift. Soccer, just like American football, you know, started out with kind of a working class uh, tint to it, you know, but uh, but over the years, uh, as our society has has embraced sports and athletes, you know, as their as their heroes in many cases. According to Michael Solomon, a marketing professor at St. Joseph's University, star athletes actually have a tremendous amount of power in our society today. And we listen to them carefully when they endorse brands. He says another thing they have in common is heritage. That heritage happens to also to be a major component of a luxury brand. And, and so really the, uh, the divide between the two is perhaps not as big as, as you might think. Uh, and especially as the, uh, as the fans get more affluent. According to the business of fashion, soccer with its male-dominated viewership is a ready-made audience for marketing. That's especially with the importance of menswear to brands. Also, streetwear has become a key driver for luxury sales. When you look at all the collaborations they're doing, say, with streetwear brands, um, you, you can recognize that, that the, the meaning of a luxury brand has changed. And soccer is especially beneficial for global brands. European clubs have big fan bases, especially in China. Solomon says it's a huge opportunity for brands that want to expand their market. Evelyn Lee, NTD News. CNN President Jeff Zucker abruptly resigned today. Marks the latest departure from CNN since the firing of former anchor Chris Cuomo. Zucker told employees he failed to disclose a consensual relationship with a close colleague. He had been asked about it as part of the probe into Chris Cuomo's time at CNN. The company has fired or accepted the resignations of multiple employees who were accused of improper behavior after Chris Cuomo was fired in December. And apparently YouTube and TikTok track you more than any other social platform. Security firm Atlas VPN says they both use 14 trackers to see what you've been up to online, but we don't know what exactly they're gathering or where it's going. TikTok is a Chinese-owned company, but it recently overtook Google as the most visited website in the world. Several U.S. federal agencies banned personnel from downloading it onto their phones because of the China connection. A recent survey found that 80% of Americans are worried about their online privacy. They say that they would be willing to pay for social media in return for better protections. At least one American company is trying to take advantage of that sentiment, MeWe. It's a Facebook alternative that doesn't track you or sell your data to advertisers. It makes its money by selling extra features to its users. 
So joining us is online privacy advocate and the CEO of MeWe, Mark Weinstein. Mark, great to see you. Thanks for coming on. Great. Thank you, Paul. It's uh, always a pleasure to be with you, be on the show, and thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Mark, we often hear about concerns over online privacy, but in your eyes, what exactly is the big problem with trading one's personal data in return for lots of free services, right? Google, Google Maps, you know, Facebook. What do you see as the primary concerns? Look, it's a massive concern. In, in the old days, in the old days, you know, a year or two ago, people still didn't understand that when there's a creep looking over your shoulder, in other words, that the world knows, you know, or Facebook knows where you are, what you're doing, who you're talking to, what your emotions are, what your political views are, what your religious views, what your sexual views, what your health issues are. That's a real problem because now governments know and nefarious actors, uh, you know, marketers, advertisers, politicians, countries can target you, manipulate your thoughts, your opinions, your purchase decisions, your relationships. So this is massively dangerous, and I am not um, overstating this, everybody. This is real. It's happening. We read about this, how democracy is being disrupted, interrupted, etc. You credit yourself as one of the founders of social media, so you've been watching this space for a long time, and, and you've been watching privacy in this space as well. Has it developed how you imagined it would, and particularly, as you mentioned, over the past couple of years, how has it developed? Well, this is why MeWe is here. So, you know, I started MeWe to solve the problem. I was back in the late 90s. When social media was invented, I was one of the early founders of a award-winning social media company. And what happened was when social media was invented, social networking was invented so that we could stay in touch. We could stay in touch with our family, our friends, use great technology, find new friends, uh, find like-minded people to hang out with. And what happened is it's been perverted. Mark Zuckerberg discovered that he could make a lot more money by studying and watching and learning and manipulating everything that we do. You know, you don't have free will, everybody, if your opinions are being manipulated by Facebook. You don't have free will if your purchase decisions are being influenced by Facebook. You don't have free will if your votes are being influenced by Facebook. Recently, over the past couple of years, we've heard more rumblings and some, I don't know about action, but congressional hearings in D.C. over the influence of big tech, the power of big tech, number of lawmakers calling these companies monopolies, threatening to break them up, etc. You think that there could be some reform in this space coming through politics? You know, um, first of all, I had a major op-ed in the Wall Street Journal on October 2nd of 2021, just a few months ago. And I talked about how Facebook is a monopoly. And previously I had said that they weren't. And I said, I've changed my mind. Facebook is a monopoly. The question is, can the government regulate this? And the answer, in my opinion, is really no, um, because you know it will fail. The government tries to regulate data portability in the healthcare industry. It fails. Um, Facebook is a monopoly. There do need to be things done to them. They need to be fined when they do things wrong. You know, um, they got fined five billion dollars for uh, violating a Federal Trade Commission consent decree agreement when they could have been fined two trillion dollars. Now, if that fine had taken place, so in other words, 
there were already agreements and regulations in place that could have worked if the fines were doled out as they were supposed to be. So Facebook has a lot of friends up on, on the hill, so to speak. Uh, that's something to look into. Mark Weinstein, uh, MeWe, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great to be here. And amid this inflationary environment, Starbucks has been steadily raising prices, but says customers don't seem to mind. The coffee chain raised prices in October, then again in January, but Starbucks says customers keep coming back. In the last three months, sales jumped 18% to North America and 13% globally. Starbucks obviously hopes the trend continues. It also expects to raise prices again later this year. The company says the new prices help mitigate cost pressures it's facing itself, including rising material costs and increased wages. And clothing companies seem to be ready to bring their manufacturing closer to home. Top consulting firm McKinsey surveyed businesses and found that 71% plan to near shore some production. That means bring it closer to their home country. Central America seems to be top of mind for, um, for U.S. companies. Eight in ten plan to build up their operations there. The National Council of Textile Organizations recently put the shift away from Asia down to three factors. Increased freight costs, labor shortages due to COVID, and reports of forced labor in China's Xinjiang region. One American company looking to take advantage of the trend is Zipfox, just launched a platform to connect American businesses with manufacturers in Mexico. It's hoping to compete with Chinese sourcing site Alibaba. So now we're joined by the founder of Zipfox, Rain Mahdi. Rain, great to see you. Good to see you too. Rain, I think with all the supply chain problems and how expensive it is to bring goods in from China at the moment, it seems like a pretty good time to start your company. Are you feeling in a rush to grasp the opportunity? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I'm not so much feeling a rush to grasp the opportunity, more so to help U.S. buyers solve the issue. That's really my urgency. Mm. Have you started already, or what are you focusing on to begin with? Yeah, I mean, you know, as you can imagine, over the last week or so since we've been getting ready to launch and just launched really officially yesterday, uh, there's been a lot of media coverage. Everybody's got issues with supply chain. And so, um, you know, a lot of people talking about it and eager for a solution. Uh, so, you know, we've been happy to kind of help provide a solution there. You're not the first guest to come on here and talk about manufacturing and business shifting from China to Mexico. I believe you've been to some factories in Mexico. You guys, you audit them. You make sure they're legit. How's business conditions there? Uh, you know, they're excited. To be honest, it's very interesting. The uh, the feedback that you get from Mexican manufacturers, they've been kind of waiting on the sidelines a long time, hoping to have the opportunity to access the U.S. market. Before Zipfox, nobody's really contacted them and invited them to the party. So they've got manufacturing capability. They've got capacity available right now. And they're just really excited to join hands with the U.S., with their neighbors next door, and be able to do more business. And they just needed a way to facilitate that. So that's kind of the energy that you're feeling, is they're just excited to kind of join the party. Mm -hmm. I assume with the higher qualities of, of living and the higher working conditions in Mexico, the prices of the products there are going to be a little more expensive, right? You find American manufacturers are willing to, to pay the premium to, to get their goods here? 
Well, it kind of varies product by product. Some things you'll see that are kind of comparable with uh, Chinese pricing. Other things may be a little bit more expensive. But when you kind of balance that out with the lower shipping costs coming from Mexico and then not paying the 25% tariff, which that's a temporary issue, but it is an issue right now, um, you're still going to come out uh, on top many times sourcing products from Mexico. The thing is, though, obviously, you're not going to get every product from Mexico. Over the last 25 years in particular, China has built in some fantastic and magnificent capacity and capabilities, the best in the world. So sometimes that's going to have to still be the best option, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just about having more options. You seem like a pretty ambitious guy. You have your sights set on somebody like Alibaba. You, you're hoping to overtake them someday. Uh, I mean, if I'm being honest, yeah, I think Alibaba is probably one of the worst things that has happened uh, to U.S.-China relations in the last 25 years, um, because a lot of U.S. citizens, their first impression or their first experience uh, dealing with Chinese may be through Alibaba as a platform. And because Alibaba's platform is so mismanaged and they care so little about the type of people that they allow to sell on their platform, that creates a lot of bad experiences, and I don't think that's a good thing for anybody. There you go. Zip Fox's yeah. Rain Mahdi. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And while electric cars seem to be revolutionizing the auto industry, could electric planes soon be revolutionizing air travel? As the world's first all-electric passenger aircraft prepares for its first flight, we ask in what ways could electric planes be better than conventional aircraft and how much money is potentially in the space? Anthony's Colin Fredrickson investigates. For the first time, an electric passenger aircraft will soon take flight. The Alice, created by Israeli firm Eviation, has a battery that's similar to that of an electric car. It should be able to fly for one hour and 440 nautical miles at a speed of 287 miles per hour. In every respect, electric airplanes are far better than conventional type aircraft. Captain Ross Amer is the CEO of Aero Consulting Experts. Amer says electric planes make less noise, have 80 to 90 percent less of a carbon footprint, and unlike conventional aircraft, have far fewer parts. However, we most likely won't see widespread use in the near future, and there are two big barriers, battery technology and certification. Air aircraft performance is built around uh, weight of the aircraft, so fuel efficiency, speed, uh, your, your ability to get to altitude are, are largely driven by weight. And batteries are dense. They're very heavy. David Naledi is a managing director at Riveron. Naledi says all the electric planes right now are very small, and he's skeptical we'll see commercial size electric planes in the near term. The battery technology is still very immature. As you start to add batteries to increase range, you have to increase the weight of the entire airframe because you're, you're designing an aircraft now to carry more weight. As you build the aircraft heavier, now all of a sudden you need more batteries and you get into a little bit of a circular uh, situation. Also, batteries have a big safety issue. Batteries can be hazardous uh, if you have uh, a short, which can cause a fire. This leads to the second big barrier, certification. They would have to go through extensive certification of an electric aircraft. 
which they haven't done yet. Companies have to prove to the FAA that the planes are safe. This could take years. An FAA spokesperson told CNN, determining qualifications for these aircraft is an ongoing process. But despite these barriers, people are interested. We're very excited to provide uh, electric aircraft as a, a vehicle uh, to support our, our travelers. Glenn Gonzalez is the co-founder and CEO of JetIt, which offers private jet travel services. Gonzalez plans to buy a fleet of E-Flyer 800 from aircraft maker by Aerospace. Gonzalez says these planes will be less costly to operate. We're looking at operating costs being in the, in the hundreds of dollars uh, per hour as compared to uh, thousands of dollars or you know, well into the thousands of dollars. This involves the costs of maintaining, servicing, and recharging the aircraft. And the electric aircraft space has received serious funding. NASA gave $253 million to GE Aviation and Magnix to work on electric planes. Boeing is investing $450 million in manufacturer Whisk Aero, which is building an autonomous electric plane. And Airbus has been working on its own electric plane for over a decade. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. But then we're going to take a quick break, but stick around to see Elon Musk announcing the new Starlink premium internet service. How much will it cost and who is it for? And hundreds of Australians are leaving the dairy industry, farm, fa dairy farming industry every year. But one father and son are bucking the national trend. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Cryptocurrency became more mainstream last year. We watched the ups and downs of Bitcoin and the explosion of interest in NFTs. So what can we expect this year? So far this year, Bitcoin's value tumbled almost 50%, hitting a record high last November at nearly $70,000. Today, we look at take a closer look at three trends in the cryptoverse that experts say they're closely watching as the year unfolds. The cryptoverse is expanding in 2022. Experts say interest in digital currencies and blockchain, the technology that powers them, is exploding. This year is going to be exciting. There's going to be a lot of opportunities to get involved. Here are three trends experts say we could see this year. Number one, growing acceptance. Experts expect more people will likely invest in digital assets despite their volatility and extreme swings. We've seen uh, just in the last three months, uh, prices fall over 50%. Uh, and throughout the history of, of cryptos, um, you know, you can see 80% declines throughout various times. Trend number two, embracing Web3. Web3 is described as the next phase of the Internet fueled by blockchain technology. Experts say it's a series of platforms and products where users control their own data instead of big tech. Historically, when we've used the Internet, we've always consumed content or given our information to platforms that have then captured all of our value. Let's call it selling our information on Facebook or YouTube. With Web3, these platforms are now being designed such that if you create value for a network, you're able to capture that in the form of a token. 
And that brings us to trend number three, more regulation. Experts say lawmakers and financial regulators are likely to finally take action on digital currencies. The space was unregulated. It was the wild, wild west. But the sort of reality of that is that the more regulation it is, the harder it is for there to be these crazy investment opportunities that I think we've seen make crypto so popular before. And Elon Musk's SpaceX has opened pre-orders for its new high-performance internet service, Starlink Premium. But it'll cost you. It starts at $500 per month, plus you have to shell out $2,500 for the antenna. It advertises speeds of up to 500 megabits per second. It's about twice as fast as Starlink's regular service. The average household is not the target for the premium service. It's geared towards small businesses. SpaceX says deliveries are set to start later this year. And NASA is retiring the International Space Station after three decades in orbit. The agency is planning to crash the ISS into the most remote part of the Pacific Ocean in January 2031. The area known as Point Nemo has been the crash site for hundreds of pieces of space debris over the years. Since launching in the year 2000, the ISS has orbited 227 nautical miles above Earth, it's been a temporary home to more than 200 astronauts from 19 countries. Without the ISS, NASA would rely on the private sector to help continue scientific research in space. And hundreds of Australians are leaving the dairy farming industry every year. But a father and son are bucking the national trend. They're buying dairy farms to enjoy what they say is a more balanced lifestyle. Introduce Andrew Thomas has the details. More than 75% of Australia's dairy farms have closed their gates in the past 40 years, according to Dairy Australia. But at 72, Stan Johnson has become a dairy farmer. It's a good lifestyle because I can keep doing it, and I'm hoping I can keep doing something on this farm for another 10 to 15 years. When he was dairy farming 35 years ago, there were almost 22,000 dairies across the country. Now, there are fewer than 5,000. Hundreds are still leaving the industry each year, but not Johnston. We're not going to get rich, but it's a very good in industry to be in. His son, Wade Johnston, also recently began dairy farming to create a better work-life balance for his family. Day in, day out, and it's hard work. However, I want to do something where I'm next to or near my family nearly all the time. I'm just focused on my little, little tiny farm here, my little world, and I'm just trying to make everything as productive as I can and as uh, clean and healthy as I can. The industry has faced decades of challenges, including drought and unsustainable supermarket prices. But Dairy Australia says a growing appreciation for local produce is reviving dairy farming. There are opportunities where individual producers, individual companies are really capitalising on that support and really um, uh, working towards supplying an Australian consumer who really wants to see the Australian dairy industry succeed. And the dairy farming renaissance is providing some with record-breaking profits. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. As the latest business updates for today, you can still catch NTD Evening News. That's with Stephanie Cox at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. NTD Business, it's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.